Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Here's the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap in right center field. Here comes Crawford, Ronnie third. Down the stretch he comes. He will score. Ty France with a walk-off RBI single here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the Mariners come from behind to beat the Astros here at T-Mobile Park. A final score of 6-5. to five. Holy smokes. What a comeback tonight here in game one of the three-game series. And France is getting mobbed out there in shallow right field. You know, there's something about a walk-off, Taylor, but it makes it even sweeter when it comes against a team like the Houston Astros, and that is what your Seattle Mariners did last night, winning it 6-5, to five, winning the opener of this huge three-game series at T-Mobile Park. Just an absolutely gorgeous weekend across the Puget Sound area. We're indoors right now, but if you're outdoors, soak up those sun rays for us. Uh, Taylor, this is the weekends that you live for here in this area. You've got perfect weather. You've got incredible sports going on. We saw it last night, both at Lumen Field and at CenturyLink Field. Two big wins for the Sounders and for the Mariners. I mean, does it get much better than this? Oh, wait, it does. Two weeks from now, we've got the NFL draft. Crazy, and people thought this was the slow part of the sports year. And actually here, especially in Seattle, with the way the Mariners are playing, things are looking uh, pretty busy and pretty exciting. But uh, I thought we were going to open with uh, uh, some sort of quote from The Circle, you know, our favorite oh, Netflix man. show. But I- I'm glad you led with the walk-off, because as- <laughs> and we forgot about the sweetest part of the uh, the highlight. It's from the Riz himself. It is. Yeah, oh yeah. Rick Riz, those pipes of his. I mean, it doesn't get much better than Rick Riz calling a walk off to uh to open up a weekend here. Maybe we'll we'll get some some chat in of the circle. I know there are some diehard Seattle Sports Saturday yeah. fans listening that are are eagerly anticipating our takes on that. Maybe coming up in the second hour, maybe around shout out time. Who knows how that's going to go, but we've got plenty in store for you today here on Seattle Sports Saturday. We're with you until one o'clock here on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you'd like to join in on the conversation at any point, the text line, it is there for you. It's always there for you, just as we are. At 710-710, that's the number to text if you want to chime in on the conversation over the next couple of hours. But, Taylor, this is going to be a jam-packed one. It's our last Seattle Sports Saturday before the NFL draft, so we've got to get our draft takes in you know, a little bit earlier than everybody else here on 710. So we're going to dive into that conversation coming up in about 40 to 45 minutes from now, uh, as well as just recapping what the week has been like for the Mariners and and also a big week for the Seahawks as well, bringing in another veteran pass rusher to this group that is looking pretty formidable right now. So much to get to. Let's waste no more time, Taylor, and get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, you just mentioned it, Curtis. The pass rush will look a little bit different next season, no matter what you think, because the Seahawks adding another face to the mix. One-time All-Pro defensive end Alden Smith reportedly signing a one-year deal with the Seahawks, according to NFL Network's Mike Garofalo and Ian Rappaport. 
The addition comes just a day after Smith uh, was seen visiting with the Seahawks, 31-year-old Smith, coming off a successful comeback season with the Cowboys in 2020, which he made five sacks and started in all 16 of their games. Smith had missed the previous four years due to suspensions stemming from a long list of legal and substance abuse issues, but returned to the league last year after getting sober and was able to make an impact on the field. Now, what will this do for the Seahawks pass rush? What will the competition look like next year? What does this mean for the other contracts like KJ or Jamal Adams? We'll dive into that and more coming up at 1130. Number two. It's been a whirlwind week for the Mariners. It all started on Sunday with a stunning comeback win down 6-0 to the Twins. They took two of three from Minnesota. Later, the Mariners had to deal with Mother Nature herself in Baltimore, but they were able to eke out three of four from the O's. And then how about last night? The Mariners once again feasting on an opponent's bullpen, coming back from multiple three-run deficits last night against the hated Astros, capping it off with that walk-off single from Ty France, winning it 6-5. to five. France, Hanniger, and, and Kyle Seeger, they have been incredible atop the lineup for the Mariners to start the season over the first couple of weeks. Now, it wasn't all great news for the Mariners this week as James Paxson has been transferred to the 60-day injured list after undergoing Tommy John's surgery on April 14th. However, there was some good news to counter that. GM Jerry Depoto he joined Danny O'Neill and Stacey Rost earlier this week, and he said that the team expects Kyle Lewis to be back in the lineup during their upcoming home series against the Dodgers on Monday and Tuesday night. We will go further into this hot start for the Mariners, something that we have seen from them in the past, and why it might feel a little different this time around. That's coming up in about 10 minutes from now. Number three. Jao Paulo scored a goal of the season candidate already, and it's only been game one to start the second half for the Sounders. And Raul Rui Diaz added two more goals, three minutes apart. And the Sounders welcomed fans back to its home stadium at Lumen Field with a triumphant 4-0 win over Minnesota United on Friday night. The start of the 2021 season for the reigning Western Conference champions was a rousing victory. And it was nice to see fans back in the stadium for the first time in 13 months. Also nice to see back in that stadium for the first time in some time, Freddie Montero, who also scored a goal in his return to the Sounders, proving that he can be effective in this new role with his old club. Now, don't take this 4-0 victory lightly. Minnesota is a very strong side, expected to be competing for a Western Conference title at the end of the season. So the Sounders to come out with a big victory week one, pretty promising for this team that had a lot of question marks. You know, no Jordan Morris this season, so can they make a deep run? According to week one, it looks like they'll be able to compete with some of the best teams in the MLS. That is this hour's big three. Just a dominating performance last night from the Sounders in that victory over Minnesota. Shout out to them uh, for bringing it in the MLS opener last night. Some honorable mentions, Taylor. Uh, let's go to Montlake for these ones, a couple of them. Uh, first, the news yesterday, UW Zion Tupuola Fatui, the star defensive player for the Huskies, he was carted off the practice field with what appears to be an apparent leg or ankle injury. 
no further updates have been given on his status, but he is not uh, at practice today, which I believe got underway around 10.30 this morning. So a situation worth monitoring, especially if you're a Husky fan. That is somebody you do not want to see go down, uh, especially on that defensive side of the ball, how good he was in the shortened season a year ago. Hopefully it's something minor and the Huskies can see him back out there uh, you know, once fall camp opens up later on uh, you know, in a couple of months from now. Yeah, what a void he will leave if he truly is. This is a long-term injury. And I don't know if you saw the video, Curtis. It's out circulating in the Twitter sphere and Instagram, but doing some sled drills over there at UW, and he literally just tossing this sled, this football sled around like a rag doll. This hit, I mean, it looked like it weighed nothing when he was hitting it. And uh, so... What a player, uh, what a loss this could be, so we're hoping the best. Even Coog fans, hoping for the best. You don't want to see a, a player like this be taken out by, by something like that. So Definitely not, definitely not. And then on the basketball side of things, boy, it could be a lot better at UW. Oy. And based off the comments we heard from Hamir Wright, who has since entered the transfer portal, it looks like it's going to be a while before things are, are better there, at least for Mike Hopkins' staff. A lot of explosive comments, Taylor. Of the stuff that we heard from Hamir Wright this week, which one stood out the most to you? I honestly just think it's the general disconnect it's, he seems to have from these players and from these the his own recruits. And how this happened, this the the fracture of the, you know, one guy wearing pink socks for breast cancer awareness and him, Mike Hopkins, not being into that at all. And to just to be that sort of clueless, not only in that situation, but the reason why the player would be doing it. The, the the actual impact of the different color socks someone could be wearing. I mean, all of those things just tell me he is not ready to lead young men. Um, and especially not in a program like UW where the expectations are really high and you need to be churning out successful products because that's what they're used to there on Montlake. So to hear this on top of all the players who have left, on top of all the, the lack of success and the losses and the blowouts – it's just really ugly with that basketball program right now. Yeah, I think the thing that stood out most to me with Wright's comments was him saying that once Mike Hopkins has his mind made up on you, there's no changing that. There is no uh, convincing him otherwise of, of somebody or, or of what you can possibly be or what your ceiling can be. And we've kind of seen that over the last couple of years, him not really adjusting his rotation until the very last second, maybe when it becomes too late, uh, whether it be guys coming off the bench or putting guys into the starting lineup. Um, you know, that's you, you have to be adaptable as a head coach, and I think you have to see guys for more than what you think they are, and you have to consult your staff on that. And I think that speaks to, you know, just a – a really big red flag that that went off for me when I heard that from Hamir Wright. And just Wright speaking in this way, we don't really see this happen at at, at big-time programs when guys enter the transfer portal. They're not hopping on their buddy's podcast the way he did with Noah Dickerson, who was also a former Mike Hopkins player. You don't see this happen at Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or or North Carolina, any place like that. So it kind of speaks to a a culture problem here at University of Washington, at least within the basketball program. 
Uh, hopefully that ship can be righted, uh, or maybe it's stuck in the Suez Canal. Who knows how this one's going to go uh, over the next <laughs> year or so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 12 million reasons why he hasn't been fired yet. So uh, there better be a good reason that money is not being spent that way because it's not looking good so far. Not not good, not good. But what is good is this start from the Mariners, 9-5 and five to start the year. Is this start feeling different than any other previous hot starts the Mariners have gotten off to? I mean, we're not we're – not, you know, foreign to this. We saw it a couple of years ago, 13 and two, but what makes this year feel a little bit different than that one? We'll tell you next year on Seattle sports Saturday. Seattle sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. I can understand people's trepidation when it comes to the Mariners and hot starts. We've seen it in years past where they get off to a scorching start. Most rec- most recently in 2019, getting off to that record-setting 13-2 and start. Uh, what was it, 26 straight games they started the year off with a home run. And then, well, as we all know, that season did not go as planned or at least as, as hoped in the, during that 13-2 and start. But... Uh, Taylor, when you look at this team, though, 9-5, and five, not too shabby, uh, pretty decent start to the year, but they do have that negative run differential that everybody's going to point to. That's how it goes in baseball. Oh, you, you've got a great record, but look at that run differential. When you look at this Mariners start, though, to the 2021 season, is there anything that stands out to you that sort of feels different from previous good starts? And I think we'll look at 2019 probably the the most closely in this segment because it was the most recent. What do you see from this ball club in their start that kind of differs from years past? It just feels like when you see these guys in the dugout on the field that they're having so much fun as a unit and playing together and that a lot of that comes from the youth, right? And that there is a good amount of youth on this team and that some of those players did come up with each other and are very familiar with each other and there's a whole nother class of those players on their way and the 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 culture of this team has shifted to embrace this youth and also embrace the the fun side of baseball and Man, you just see them when they're rushing each other after these walk-offs, no matter if it's a walk-off walk or an actual hit, that they're mobbing each other, their reactions, the way they get up for each other. A little thing I'll throw out there, and for those of you who are active on social media, on Instagram, if you follow any of these players, man, they're posting, like Justin Dunn's posting about Ty France, and you're seeing these guys talking about each other and bigging each other up on social media. There's just this different feel of the culture around this team, and it starts with being fun and, and the fun of what comes with winning, and that's what you see in these first nine games, so they're not taking it for granted, and I just think it, it, it feels like it's a lot easier for me to buy into the fun of this team because it feels authentic um, when you see it out on the field. Yeah, and and when guys are playing for each other, that is just an unbelievable lift that can be given to a team. You mentioned guys posting about each other and just posting about other everybody else's success. 
Uh, Lookout Landing, they posted on their Twitter account last night some screenshots of, of Mariner players and their Instagram stories just over the last couple of days or whatever. Ty France, you know, he's talking about J.P. Crawford and calling him his dog. Will Vest calling uh, Taylor Trammell the goat. Uh, you've got uh, Keenan Middleton and J.P. Crawford. They're talking to each other, you know, on Instagram there. You mentioned Justin Dunn tweeting out the video of Ty France's walk-off. I mean, these are guys that are happy for each other's success, and, and that's not often the case uh, in professional sports because so often players are trying to look for theirs. You know, they're trying to get what they feel is theirs, and and it is hard sometimes to sort of be selfless in a clubhouse situation or at least in a professional sports situation because at the end of the day, it's your livelihood on the line. Um, but I look at this team, Taylor, and one thing that stands out to me about this ball club as opposed to the most recent hot start the Mariners got off to is that there is help on the way. Like This isn't what the roster is going to be in even next month, really. Even in the next couple of days, we're going to get Kyle Lewis back in Seattle's lineup. And at some point this summer, Jared Kelnick is going to be up. At some point this summer, Logan Gilbert is going to be up. That 2019 ball club, what they were in the month of April, is the best they were ever going to be. And that's unfortunate because there's still you know four or five months left in the regular season at that point. But what the Mariners are right now, I don't think is going to be the best they will be in 2021. And that has me at least hopeful. I'm not saying that a playoff berth is guaranteed because of this 9-5 and five start. And the AL West is still a tough division, even despite the step back that Houston has taken over the last couple of seasons. And, and I don't think Oakland is going to be as dominant as they've been over the last couple of years. But this Mariners team, it, it does feel like we are nearing the, I guess, jump start of the rebuild where – you know, you, you know, the last couple of years, it's been tear it down, tear it down, tear it down. I think we're getting very close to hitting that fast forward button. Yeah, and and not only the the players coming up, but how about the players at the major league level right now, and the growth that still remains for some of them, and the growth we've seen, like. Uh, Justin Dunn, again, to, to bring him back up and what a difference it feels like a, uh, an offseason has made for him and the command of his pitches. And he looked dominant out there in his last outing. And used, and um, we got Kikuchi also looking great as well. And, yes, Marco had that rough little bit of a start, but it looks like he settled down at the end of his last outing too and seemed to – Again, get that command back, get his presence back on the mound to be that leader of of the pitching rotation. So, and look, there's still a lot of growth to be had in those three players I just mentioned and a few of the others already at the major league level, which is great because you know they're not peaking like you mentioned, Curtis. Now, this isn't like the the production you're getting. <laughs> Maybe other than Kyle Seeger, everyone is 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 going to be putting up these numbers longevity Kyle's just doing it early he's usually a month or two later in his in his cycle for putting up these types of numbers so it's just been really encouraging to see these types of things Curtis because like you mentioned not only is the growth remaining still there at the major league level but those players at the minor league level who are coming up and who will be pushing those players uh, above them and, and what that means look Pete Carroll mentions it competition right you want to breed that competition 
Absolutely you do. And I like that you mentioned the pitching rotation because I think that is an area of the team that everybody was was very comfortable with heading into the season. Uh, I know in a, in the preview show that Shane Andrea and I did uh, right before the season started, I think we both had mentioned that this is going to be probably the strongest area of the team. And that necessarily hasn't been the case through the first two weeks of the season. But it they have been able to overcome that in, in different ways, obviously with their resiliency in late-game situations. I believe last night was their fourth comeback, comeback win of the season. They only have nine on the year. So uh, they've been able to be resilient in that way but also to overcome you know, tough performances. And I think a lot of people looked at the James Paxton injury as something that might set this team back. I don't think the Mariners' 2021 hopes were ever going to rest on the left arm of James Paxton. It would have been nice had he been able to regain his form, but he was never going to be, I think, the guy that they depended on every fifth day. I think they were just hoping that he could give them anything that resembled previous James Paxton, and the Mariners have been able to overcome that. You mentioned the guys in the rotation, too, bouncing back from their tough starts. Justin Dunn looking great against Baltimore, really working that slider, getting guys off balance. Marco Gonzalez battling back after that tough first inning against Baltimore. I mean, these are uh, Justice Sheffield putting together a a nice start against the Orioles as well. I I mean, Sheffield, Gonzalez, and Dunn are – are going to carry this rotation, I think, as far as it can go this season. Obviously, you say it is going to you know, do what he did, and he looked good again last night. But I think the rotation in 2021 is ultimately going to be decided by those three guys. And if they can continue to build off of what we saw this last week, I think that's really going to be a huge benefit to this team going forward. And then who knows what Logan Gilbert can give you. That's that's one of the ultimate wild cards in this season because he's looked really good too. And, uh, I mean, hey, he's a first-round pick. This is a guy who you've got a lot of hopes resting on for the future of this rotation. How about he comes in and, and, and you know, gives you – you know, maybe 15 to 20 good starts in the season's, you know, second and and, and third halves or, or second and, uh, you know, third quarters of the season here. Yeah. And, and look for a good while, we haven't had depth in the Mariners organization. Like we have, we're having conversations about these future competitions and these players coming up in the depth now. And even the, the rotation, you you know it's not where it wants to be, where Jerry Depoto and Scott Service want it to be, and where they know that it can go and out and compete with, like a Dodgers rotation. Look, we're not going to have the bank to ever to pay for those types of players, but the numbers and the analytics, right? You can go and and, and get those types of numbers elsewhere without having to pay what the Dodgers pay, but. To be having these types of conversations a month in, to be thinking about these things, talking about the the rotation in a year, the depth in the summer, and what the call ups are going to look like, and make this team look like, and and they're off to a great start, and they're they're getting some of those confidence, the wins you get with, and um, what builds the confidence in you when you win, and it, it's great to see them get some of these W's under their belt now, and, and when they start to get more of that depth up to get more confidence and to hopefully be even more sure of themselves heading into the next season. No matter what happens, playoffs or not, with this Mariners team, you know heading into next year this team is going to be a lot different and even maybe 
a lot younger with some of the players coming up. Absolutely. And there are some other decisions that will have to be made over the next couple of months. What do you do with Mitch Haniger? What do you do with Kyle Seager? And these are great problems to have. These are problems that if everything was going to go right for the Mariners this season, they were going to be problems that they would have, you know, coming up later in this season. And that it's a good thing that the Mariners are going to have to decide quickly here on what to do with Kyle Seager or Mitch Anniger. Uh People kind of like, oh, you know, you don't want Kyle Seager around. Why not? He's going to be $15 million next year on a team option if you pick that up. That's very affordable for, you know, a third baseman, a starting caliber third baseman in baseball. I have no problem with them picking that up for next season, especially because there's nobody else in the pipeline, really. Yeah, and, and Hanniger too. I know there was talks about maybe moving Hanniger. I don't think there's going to be a deal worth – what you would lose in, in moving Mitch and, and what he brings to this team. Yes, it, it wasn't like before, and um, he's obviously a little bit of a different player But I, as he gets older, but I still think he has a solid role in this Mariners organization and can contribute to this team being successful for the next few years. Coming up next on Seattle Sports Saturday, we will get into some draft conversation in this hour. That's coming up in about 20 minutes from now. But up next, the Seahawks make a signing on the defensive line. They've really shored up that unit. How's it going to work with all these new pieces, Alden Smith being the newest? We'll get into that next year on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Really good text coming into the text line 710-710 talking about the Mariners' success from the 253. They want to know if it's sustainable with the way they're winning. Lots of run one-run victories and that minus seven run differential right now. And and 253, I think the the best way I can say this is I don't think it's sustainable. But I also don't think what this Mariners team is right now is what it's going to be at the end of the season. I don't think they are at what they could possibly be in terms of their ceiling. So, no, it's not sustainable. It's really tough to keep up this pace. But I don't think this is the best version of what this Mariners team can be. I I, I hope that answers it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I, I, I think most people who follow this team, the Shannon Dreyers of the world, would tell you the same thing, right? And I'm sure anyone in the organization would tell you that it's not a sustainable way to win. But again, like you said, Curtis, this isn't even their final form. Like like Frieza Ooh. and Dragon Ball Z, this isn't even my final <laughs> form. So, Yeah, just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Uh, but yeah, the Mariners off to a really nice start, nine and five to start the season. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. And Taylor, the Seahawks not done making moves just yet before the NFL draft. Earlier this week, we get the news that Alden Smith, after a long flirtation between the two sides, it feels like Alden Smith has been on the radar of Pete Carroll and John Schneider for at least a calendar year. Um, I know they had interest in him around the trade deadline a year ago. That didn't happen. But Smith, now a member of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, when you look at just a football, you know, what he brings on the football field and what this pass rush unit has sort of become over the last couple of weeks, 
I mean, it, it feels nice to not have those conversations that we've had over the last couple of years about where's the pass rush going to come from because it's pretty obvious where it's going to come from now. It's going to come from a lot of guys. Yeah, and the rotation, Curtis. And that was when this team was the most successful, 2013. They had the rotation on the defensive line. Again, let's we talk about it all the time, but Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett were not even starters on that on that defensive line. They rotated in, and that's exactly where if you're a Seahawks fan, you want that defense to be. Now, the only difference is, and we'll get into this in the next segment, do they have the guys behind the defensive line? to make a difference there. But just focusing on the defensive line, the pressure this team will get onto the quarterback, even from last season when we saw a good number. And look, Jamal Adams had a massive impact in that as well. But I I am excited to see a Seahawks defensive line with a lot of bodies and a lot of potential to rotate people in to keep people fresh. Third downs, getting new faces in there, able to really put the pressure on the quarterback, you know, mixing people up all the time, different looks. And with the uh, a little bit of uncertainty at linebacker, right, With K- you don't know what's going to happen with KJ. If KJ leaves, who's going to fill in there? It's nice to know that this front, at least the front four, depending on what it looks like, will be able to get after the quarterback with depth as well. Absolutely, and I think with all these signings, I think it does make the picture a little more clear as to what they might do in the draft. I don't think defensive end is going to be a position we'll see them emphasize a ton in the draft. Maybe there is a best player available type situation where somebody that they've had their eye on falls to them at pick 56 or or whatever pick it is that they do make, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly with this pass rush unit now when they were at their very best, it was, you know, a, a rotation of guys. It was Chris Clemens, Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Red Bryant, uh, you know, all sorts of guys coming in on that defensive line. And it was a group that was just so good because you never gave the opposing offensive line a time to catch your breath because it was just one guy after another. You look at this rotation now. Obviously, you got Smith, you've got Benson Mayoa, Carlos Dunlap, Kerry Hyder Jr., LJ Collier, Alton Robinson, you know, Rasheem Green. There's a lot of guys to go around now. I counted up, what, eight guys that can, you know, get after the pass or get after the, the quarterback. I don't know if they'll be able to keep all those guys just because of, you know, other areas of need on the roster. When you look at that group, Taylor, who sticks out to you as maybe somebody that may be fighting for their job here come uh, July and August? It might be Alden, to be honest with you, just because of the way his contract, well, what we have reportedly heard about his contract so far is he might be the easiest to lose uh, cap-wise, contract-wise with the one-year deal. So... I think, unfortunately, it's Alden Smith, and he's got to come in here and prove some stuff to to prove that he can be a true contributor to this depth and bring some of that production he had last year into this into this Seahawks organization as well, or else he might be one of those odd men out. But uh, having that many pass rushers who truly can get after the quarterback, and we're taught, like you just mentioned, Curtis, what a problem to have, and, and what a difference... Uh, 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 a couple of years makes in the conversation you're having about a D line. 
Oh, absolutely. Because over the last three years, it's really been a one-man show on the defensive line. It's been Frank Clark, Jadevian Clowney, and last year was Carlos Dunlap. If if any of those three guys, you know, weren't healthy for a time or, or, or weren't in the lineup for a time, that pass rush was almost non-existent. And we saw it last year after Dunlap was acquired. Holy cow, this this defensive line had, I think, what, 35 sacks in the games that Carlos Dunlap appeared in. I mean, that's an, an incredible rate right there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think Alden Smith is somebody that is going to have to be fighting for their job here because he is a veteran and, and – it is sort of a luxurious signing to bring him in on top of all the other guys. And history has shown us the Seahawks have brought in a lot of veterans at different positions, you know, late in the off season or, or in free agency, what have you just to get a look at them in training camp. And, and maybe they don't make the, the team. We've seen it before uh, in the secondary. I think Antoine Winfield was an example of this. Uh, Jari Evans on the offensive line. That one I think Seahawks would have loved to have had back because Evans, I believe, went on to have a Pro Bowl season that year with the Saints, unfortunately. But, you know, we've seen it with, like, Terrell Owens, um, other guys, uh, Brandon Marshall. He made the roster initially but was cut midway through the season. So there is a, a history here of Seattle bringing in these these veteran names maybe to get a look at them. If Smith is the kind of pass rusher he was last year in Dallas, I think that is going to be an incredible lift. But when you bring up Smith, obviously you have to look at his past. You know, there is mm-hmm. the off-the-field issues he has had, and it's a wide variety of them. It's not just one thing or another, uh, similar to like Josh Gordon, where it's been substance abuse mostly. Uh, there's been plenty of off-the-field issues. But I will say this, Taylor. If there is an organization that that enjoys taking flyers on those kinds of reclamation projects, it is the Seahawks, and it is guys like Josh Gordon who came in here. And I think even though Gordon only played in a handful of games for the Seahawks, this was probably the best environment for him uh, of any in the league. Uh, Deion Jordan, another guy who had kind of flamed out of the league after he was with the Dolphins for all those years. He comes here and has a couple of productive seasons when you look at Alden Smith and just sort of the the road that he has taken in the NFL, are you confident that this is somebody that the Seahawks can can get through to because of you know these these incidents have happened in his past and, and you hope that he is be, he's beyond them now, uh, you know is this the the right organization for somebody like this guy? Look, I, I can never sit here and say definitively being here will prevent these things from happening, right? It's not the way the human brain works, so I, I can't sit here and say that. But of all the teams, if I were to rank them where he would succeed the most and where they would empower him the most, um, you know, to, to be in a good mental uh, a space is Seattle. And with Pete Carroll and these coaches here uh, in the Seahawks organization and the front office and how they value the players. Look, if you go to look at the VMAC or if you've been inside the VMAC, it's world class inside there. And a lot of players come here and they say it's a way different experience between the front office, the staff at the VMAC, the players, the coaches. It's just a different feel when you get there down in Renton. So to me, it it, it feels like of all the places, 
here is where they will get the most out of the potential remaining in his career. And of course, you can never rule out any of those things. And you're praying and hoping none of those demons sort of come back and pop up in his life again. Firstly, as a human being, and secondly, as a football player, you want to see this guy succeed in life. And I'm excited to see what he can do here in Seattle. And again, he's got a lot to prove. And I think those are the players when they come here to Seattle. Marshawn Lynch, another example, right? Sort of burned a couple bridges in in Buffalo, came to Seattle with that chip on his shoulder. And history has been written about the rest of Marshawn Lynch's career here in Seattle. So... I'm not saying he's Marshawn Lynch, but I'm not saying he can't come here and have an impact on the Seahawks team, similar to some of the players you and I have mentioned. Yeah, and I will say one incredible thing about this signing is that we don't have to worry about Alden Smith sacking Russell Wilson at any point because that's just been one guy that Russ has not been able to outrun at any point. Yeah, yeah, just in practice, just in practice. And he wears a red jersey, so yeah. you can't really hurt him anyways. So it's great, great just news. Two-hand touch, two-hand touch. Yep. Uh, coming up in the uh, coming up in the next hour, we'll get you a big three. But before we do that, this is our final Seattle Sports Saturday before the NFL draft. We're off next weekend because of Mariner baseball, so we are going to get you our draft pick. I guess hopes and predictions coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on seven ten ESPN Seattle. We are less than two weeks away from the NFL draft, kicking off April 29th. You're not going to want to miss it here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're going to have full first day coverage uh, for the entire first round. Whether or not the Seahawks pick does not matter. We are going to be with you. Uh, And then also we're going to be with you throughout the entire weekend, day two and three of the draft, which wraps up on Saturday April or uh, Saturday, May 1st, I believe it is what it is. Yeah. So, uh, plenty in store. And like we mentioned earlier, this is our last Seattle Sports Saturday before the NFL draft because we're not uh, on the air next weekend because of Mariner baseball. So, Taylor, I mean, this is our last uh, real opportunity to, to break it down like this. I mean, looking at the Seahawks draft class or, or potential draft class here, they only got three picks as of now. I don't think many people believe the Seahawks will stay at three. Uh, and maybe they trade down to one of the final picks in the second round. Maybe they don't start picking until the third round. Who knows? But when you look at whatever they pick at, uh, whether it be at 56 or not, the Seahawks are on the clock. You see that on ESPN. You hear the draft chimes. What position are you pounding the table for that the Seahawks take? It's the one they've been the most successful in finding and turning out successful players, and that's corner. I want a cornerback. I want them to go out and look if it's – I would prefer they trade that pick. You mentioned it, Curtis, at 56. Um, Someone's probably got to really slide to them there, but – you know, can you move down a couple slots to to stay in the in that second day still, but maybe add a, a Melifonwu from Syracuse? You know, that was a name that Jake and Stacy have profiled uh, his brother in the league. Um, you know, could that be a a potential for the Seahawks? Could he slide down there and be that sort of long corner the Seahawks love? But to me. You got to go corner. I know tackle 
is is a need, but, but that's a depth draft position now, and you can always draft um, defensive ends at some point. But where they're going to be drafting, I, I don't think you'll be able to get the value you would for a, a DB in that position. And look, that's where they've tended to draft defensive backs who have hit. Yeah, and, and uh, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network, he joined John Clayton earlier this week on his School uh, with a Professor podcast and mentioned how he expects there to be a run on defensive backs around pick 56 where Seattle would be selecting. You mentioned Ifatu Melifonwu from Syracuse. That's a name we've seen. Uh, a couple of guys out there have put him with the Seahawks or at least on, on the radar of the Seahawks. Uh, I think defensive back, if we're talking biggest need right now, I do think it is a corner that can start or at least be in the mix for a starting job. I got to be honest, not totally sold on an Akilla Weatherspoon, DJ Reed starting cornerback or on the outside uh, there. To me, you know, I would love for there to be a little bit more competition. Obviously, Trey Flowers is on the Seahawks roster. He'll be in that mix. Uh, but I would love for you know maybe one other guy to be in there. Um, when I look at the, the biggest needs for this team, you mentioned offensive line there. Unless the guy you are picking is going to be a day one starter, I don't think there is a desperate need on the offensive line right now for added help. Maybe you do draft a center, somebody that can push Ethan Posick, and maybe that guy can win the starting job out of training camp. Who knows? We, we've we uh, you know seen a profile uh, yesterday was Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma, their center. Uh, Quinn Miners is a guard out of Wisconsin Whitewater. Those are two names that have been thrown out there uh, by Jake and Stacy over the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I look at right now what the Seahawks have, are, have in front of them I think defensive back is their biggest need. I think wide receiver three is their biggest need, but I would be okay if the Seahawks didn't draft a third wide receiver simply because there are still options available in free agency once we get to that point. I believe May 3rd is when uh, you can start signing guys that won't count against the compensatory picks at all. So there's that possibility. Taylor, when, if there is a defensive back available at 56 that maybe you have had your eye on or, or, or anybody has had their eye on when it comes to the Seahawks, would you rather they use that pick 56 and not trade down, which 56 is probably one of their biggest trade chips right now. Do you think they should use that pick if there is somebody that uh, really suits what the Seahawks are trying to do here? Yes, 100%. If there's that DB, if there's that center, um, or maybe the, another offensive lineman they see or, or have um, scouted that they could potentially see as that day one starter, like you mentioned, do it. You have to. And, and this team, again, we mentioned, they're bringing back a lot of those big pieces from the 12-win season. So you're, you're not making these massive overhauls. You're adding some depth. You're adding some some starters, some competition to some starting roles. If you have that player and you've been scouting them and they're there at 56, I know you have only three picks, lowest in the tenure between Schneider and Carroll, lowest in the draft this year. Of all the years to to have a few picks, this is the one to do it. So I'm saying, yeah, go for it. Draft them. I don't mind coming out of this draft with only three, four players, um, knowing that, 
you maybe got the one big starter at the top and a few depth pieces. Um, and then knowing that second wave of free agency is there, if you miss on a DB, could Richard Sherman still be there in free agency? Are there any, like you mentioned, um, wide receivers still available in that free agency period? So to me, I know they only have the three picks, but if that player is there, if it's me, I'm doing it. When when we look at the landscape of the NFC West over the next couple of weeks, which team do you think will have the biggest change in your perception of them following the draft? Obviously, the 49ers are the number three overall pick. I think that's that's a candidate for sure, but is there anybody else in the NFC West, maybe it is the 49ers, that you think, you know what, I'm I'm a little more uh, a little more aware of what they're doing now. Yeah, I think it's got to be the Niners, and just you know the what the roster is, and if they're a quarterback away, who's the quarterback they're going to be taking there, and what does that do for the rest of the draft? Right, you know, people have said that pretty much three four is when the draft starts. So what's going to happen? What trades? What movement? What sort of dominoes? Is there going to be a run on quarterbacks? Are, are teams going to get scared and trade up? Um, there's a lot to be be said. And the Niners, fortunately and unfortunately, are that first sort of domino in the line. So, And, and look, we know what their roster is when they're healthy. No one's going to sugarcoat it that they they got talent and, and that they can really play football. They're well-coached. They have a lot of good players on that team, a lot of young players still. So I don't want to see them get the right head of the snake and to get back to being a a good competitor because without that quarterback, it's truly made this team stumble. So I don't want to see that happen in San Fran. So that's what I mean. Look, the, the Rams, it's going to be a little while before they draft <laughs> In the first round again, so um, yeah, it, it it's pretty much the the Niners and look, you know the Cardinals are still adding and they're talented and they'll always challenge the Hawks, but the Niners to me, they're the team. Yeah, the the Rams they won't be picking in the first round until maybe twenty thirty. I don't know when when that can yeah. happen. Uh, <laughs> Your daughter will be voting. That's when the next time. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, that it's going to be a while before we see the Rams uh, in the first round, unless they miraculously trade into the first round. But they don't have any picks to do that either, so it's going to be yeah. a while before they do something. I will say this: with the Forty ers just speaking from a, a Seahawks perspective, I want them to draft McCorkle Mac Jones so bad. I want him Please. in 49er red and gold more than anything. I don't want to see Justin Fields because. His ceiling has got to be just limitless as the kind of quarterback that he can be, whereas Mac Jones probably not going to be much better than what he is. And, and, I mean, he is your prototypical pocket passer. You know what you're getting with a guy like that, whereas Justin Fields has a lot more ability to be dynamic in, in, in how he plays. Take take Mac Jones, wipe your hands clean, and, and and let's go. Let's get Jimmy Garoppolo 2.0 in San Francisco. Yeah, that's the best case scenario here. Justin Fields in that golden red is going to be a nightmare scenario along with Kyler Murray. I don't want to see those guys four times 
in the 16 games, well, I guess 17 games now, but I don't want to see those quarterbacks. No, 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 no. Please, please, Mac Jones. Please, please take him. Coming up in this next hour, lots to get to. Some other headlines around the NFL. That's coming your way in about 15 minutes from now, and we'll get you a big three, including a big weekend in Major League Baseball and also history made at Augusta National. That's next here on Seattle Sports Saturday.